is the cultural touchstone, I think, of any society. When you think of art, you think of, say, Greek statues, you think of the Mona Lisa, you think of even those old statues from the Paleolithic area. Um, you can think back to ancient Greece and you might know things like Pythagorean theorem. You might know things, some history to it, but what you remember is the art. That's the thing that really defines a civilization is its art. It's what everybody remembers. It's what people will remember about us in 2000 years. They're not going to remember the political combat that happens on TV. They're not going to remember any of the TV shows. But they will remember paintings, drawings, literature. That's art. This is the My Not Arts Podcast, a map to the arts in small town America with your hosts, Justin and Shandell. And today we have local artist, photographer, and teacher, Aaron Michaels. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became involved in the arts? All right. So I have lived all over the place, but... I was born in Mohal. I've lived in Minot a couple of times, Grand Forks, East Grand Forks, um, Douglas, Wyoming, Laramie, Wyoming, um, Portland, Maine, or Portland, Oregon, a place called Hollowell in Maine. It's by Augusta. Um, one small town in Nebraska. And back to Minot. So I've been all over the place. So I've seen all kinds of art. But I started really, really young. I don't know if you ever had those library books that how to do art and there was little cartoons like how to make aliens or how to make horses or whatever. It was step by step. I did lots of those. Um, also, Prairie Public had this guy who was very, very, what would I say, enthusiastic about his Art. And it was a children's show. And he would do the same kind of thing. He would put this piece of paper up and they would do drawings. And here's the spaceport. And here's a little tube that goes with it. And this is where maybe they drive this. Or here's a little vehicle. And so I would watch that every time it was on. And I had a sketchbook that I would make all these in. And I still have that sketchbook from when I was like five or six. And you can see the progression from aliens to my own kind of work when I was, say, I don't know, junior high, I think was the last ones I wrote in that particular sketchbook. But the ones I really liked, some of the ones I colored, like, for example, there was a shark that I really thought I did well on. I took packaging tape and laminated that one. <laughs> That's <laughs> it was, awesome. It was so good. But by the time I was, I think when I was looking through it last, I must have been 10, I was drawing political cartoons. It was a little shocking to me. I was, it doesn't wow. surprise me at all. I was 10, 
10 <laughs> years old I was doing these things because I know it was before the fall of the Soviet Union because one of them had uh, a guy with the Soviet's sickle and hammer. There was Uncle Sam, and then there was a starving uh, person, and they were all thinking about weapons, and he was just thinking about toast. Oh. So I was like, wow. I don't know if I was just depressing or... <laughs> Super thoughtful <laughs> as a 10-year-old. <laughs> so I did that, a lot of drawing from there. My first camera uh, that I remember using was a, it's a 110 format. I don't know how much you guys know about cameras, but it was this little cartridge, uh, probably inch tall, four inches wide, had little loops at the end. You just shoved it in this tiny little Kodak camera that was really long and thin. Mine was blue. <laughs> and you would just take pictures with it. Mine was a little behind the times. I had to buy these cubes for flashes. Oh, cube flashes. Yeah. I remember going into Kmart once and I need some of those. And you'd plug it in and use it. I think four times because you could turn it and that was your flash. So I used that for a long time. I still have a few of those pictures. Some of them I'm mad about that the people who developed them didn't know what white sands was. So my white sands are very brown. Oh, yeah. I was very sad when I looked at those, but uh, that was my first camera. Then I moved on in junior high, used my mom's. SLR camera. That's the kind you can switch the lenses on. And I don't remember, I think it was like a Konica or something that she had from when I was a little kid, a baby. And I used that for our photography class in junior high because Laramie had a really strangely advanced art uh, instruction. You know, when people think uh, Wyoming, they're like, oh, they don't do that kind of thing, but they were impressively into art. So I would go back in the dark room, which is you know, like a computer today, and I would use the enlarger to do tricks like, you know, with Photoshop, but real photos. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, like, I had one, a glass ball that I Photoshopped my friend onto so i had two negatives i shrank one down i exposed that one and then i took the glass ball and i exposed that while covering up the the friend and i was like look at that my friend's standing on a little ball Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that we did all kinds of things in there and then i kind of dropped out of school art I didn't do art after I moved that as far as going to school. I actually didn't take that many pictures during my high school year. So he, I was going to be a rock star. Mm. I was like, I focus most of my time then on my music. <laughs> that didn't work out. <clears throat> yeah, after that, I moved to the West Coast, uh, ran out of money moved back to North Dakota and decided I'm going to pick up a camera again. 
I worked at a camera shop, so that was easy. <laughs> I went in, bought a camera, started taking... At a- least he clarified <laughs> that he bought the camera. Right? I did, I did. Picked up a random camera at work one day. Mine. <laughs> there was nothing on it. No, uh, no beeping that came out when I went through. No, I, I bought a camera, a film camera, and uh, started taking a lot of pictures. One of the people I worked with was retired from the Air Force. And he taught me almost everything I know about photography. When he started, he worked on, I believe it was the U-2 spy planes. He developed some of, or helped develop some of the liquid lenses they use because they couldn't use regular glass lenses in order to make spy photos. Then he went and he worked for Vice President Humphrey's press pool for a while. He didn't like that because people were very aggressive, pushed people around. You you always wanted the shot. So he was kind of done with that. Then he started a studio, the big 8x10 and 5x7 negatives that uh, really nice photos are made out of. Mm Mm-hmm. And he moved into also um, nature photography. So that's where a lot of my inspiration comes from, is that his nature photography kind of got me going with that. He also gave me a little bit of a, he didn't pay me, so I guess it would call it an internship, <laughs> <laughs> where he set these thousands of, thousands of slides and had me organize them that was some of the most boring work (laughs) i ever did (laughs) but he showed me how you get your stock images sold to these companies who would buy your images and use them unfortunately now with the digital uh, age most of that has gone away Mm-hmm. Which is kind of sad, but I've had a few things picked up by like AAA, uh, but for the most part, those companies are no longer there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. He's the one who convinced me to go with Nikon cameras, and once you go to one system, you kind of stay there. I think I went to my first digital camera. Uh, Probably around 2010-ish, maybe a little before that, I went kicking and screaming. I thought digital was a terrible format. It was didn't get you a good quality. The cameras were kind of cheap, cheap looking and cheap feeling, but they were very expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I started taking more and more pictures because it didn't cost me anything. I could now mess around. And not feel like I had to spend all this money on film, all this money on developing. Mm -hmm. I could just take pictures. But I still, to this day and back then, treat it like film. I make sure I get a decent picture and I don't shoot a ton of them. So if I want to take a picture of a flower, I'll take pictures a lot more than I used to with film but I try to get it right the first couple of times. 
I know people who will take 5,000 shots that are slightly different from each other and they got to go through all 5,000 to get a good picture. It's kind of a waste of, of time, I think. You could spend your time making that one photo that you took better. Um, so that led me kind of where I am today as far as where I came from. How did this shift from Rockstar Aaron to, you know, the the photographer of today? How did how did your experience in photography and art then shape your journey and who you are? Having a kid did one thing with the Rockstar uh, image. You start thinking, is this really a good career for someone who? as a family. And second, I was really bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't that hard of a uh, change to make. I was a, a punk making three chords and the truth kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And there's only so far you can go with that. It was fun, but I was getting to more of the contemplative section of my life where I could slow down, look at something and not have to worry about other people collaborating with me. If I didn't want, I could do it myself. I could, if it was two o'clock in the morning, I didn't have to wake anybody up to say, Hey, you guys want to practice? Mm -hmm. I could just do what I wanted. So that transition from me thinking I was going to be a famous musician who would tour the world to I could make art that maybe was a little more personal to me. I didn't have to think about anybody else. It was just for me. And so. you've still used your art to like travel, right? Or you oh, yeah. make art while you're traveling. Oh yeah. I've been to five countries now and I've got images I've used from pretty much all of those countries I'm going to two more next year I traveled man somewhere in the 40s of states there's a few places in the deep south in Alaska and Hawaii I haven't been to but all of them I try to take at least one good picture I can use obviously i don't have one for everything but i try my current thing is national parks i love national parks when i was a kid we were dirt poor our vacations we've tented and generally stayed in national parks i learned to camp it was great we hiked a lot so i was used to that my wife uh, before we started dating, had never really camped. Their idea of camping was taking the RV. Her mom and stepdad would sleep in a hotel, and they would sleep in the RV in the parking lot. That's oh. fantastic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, so getting, getting to know nature. Yeah. <laughs> right there in the, yeah, in the uh, <laughs> parking lot of a hotel. So... I took her, I don't even know where it was, 
But I took her camping for her first time, and she loved it. And so we just continued that. My kids have been camping since they were babies. We had to go home early from Yellowstone one time because the temperature dropped into the 30s, and we kind of thought that might be a little chilly. Since then, we've gotten older. I've had shoulder surgeries, so we've kind of... started glamping in a way <laughs> <laughs> at least that's the way i feel we got ourselves uh, still more rustic than what <laughs> i do so. right. well and you paid your dues like a lot of people yeah. don't pay their dues they just go straight to the glamping so because yeah, i went from sleeping on the ground to sleeping with a little mat to putting on uh cots in the in the tent and then two years ago we were like all right we're getting a travel trailer and just dealing with not being hardcore campers anymore. It was kind of a sad thing. <laughs> but so it goes, although we did get one that's all solar powered. So we still don't have to hook up to anything if we don't want to. We can go in the middle of nowhere and still camp and not worry until we run out of food and water. So. We can still feel a little better than those people who go to like, you know, a KOA. Right, and go and, sit in a parking lot and hook up for right. satellite TV. And yeah. 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 Yep. So uh, we do that. A few years ago, we went to 15 national parks and monuments in about three weeks. Because when your kid is in fourth grade, they and everyone in the car gets in for free. So if anybody has a fourth grader or soon to be fourth grader, keep that in mind. Or homeschools your children and gets to decide what grade they're on because there's not technically a thing that fourth grade lasts a little bit longer. Great benefit. My kid has been in fourth grade for five years. I had no idea that that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, you just go online and if you visit one of the bigger parks, they'll exchange the little piece of paper you filled out for an actual nice card that can keep. So, yeah, that was kind of a neat thing. We're still attempting to make a book out of it, but that's tough to do. Um, we've seen many, I would say most of the parks in the western half of the country. We've only seen probably two in the east uh, that would be Arcadia in Maine and Great Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. Hmm. But we plan to go bigger than that. Do you have a favorite? I really like Roosevelt. Um, so Teddy Roosevelt has a north and a south unit. I try to make it every year. Last year I ended up having to camp by myself, which was kind of sad. But I can always find something. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't get a great picture, at least I'm out there having fun. It was just me and my dog last time, sort of testing if she can handle the camper by herself sometimes if I left. But took the doors, the top off the Jeep, just drove, looked for wildlife or really nice skies. And I have some nice bison pictures and wild horse pictures I've gotten from those. You also, as a landscape photographer, have to look at sky. 
a blue sky is terrible. Unlike when you're going somewhere and want to enjoy those blue skies as a photographer, they're boring. You make a black and white, it's just blank. Mm -hmm. You make a color one, yeah, it's blue, but there's nothing there. I cheat a little. I have a bank of, of uh, cloud photos I've taken over the years. So sometimes it's like, those are cool clouds. I haven't, there's nothing on the ground that's interesting. So I'll take a bunch of cloud, or cloud pictures. And so now if I get a blue sky, I Photoshop clouds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do it that often, but it's there. Um, but the ones I have of Roosevelt, those are real, real skies. The Badlands are just interesting, especially in black and white, because there's so many variations in tones and colors, um, textures. And they look really good in black and white. I've got a few bison pictures, same thing. It's kind of Ansel Adams, and I know it's, it's kind of a cliche, but he's one of my favorites. Good, sharp contrasts. Mm -hmm. um, very interesting. He also, and this kind of goes back to my doing film, he had a quote about, and also this goes to people who, um, think Photoshop is cheating that the film, the actual negative is just the score. It's, he was a musician. He was a classically trained uh, piano player before he went into art. And so he compared the negative to your composition, your sheet music, but the actual print that, that was a performance. Now, back when he was doing it, you couldn't do it the same way every time. You had to do one print at a time. Now you can do the same thing in Photoshop over and over and over. Mm -hmm. But I find myself going back to my images and tweaking them constantly. And sometimes in the back of my mind, I go, well, is that making the ones I've sold before not as worth as much. But then I remember that Ansel Adams, he sold different ones every time. Mm -hmm. So me tweaking it is just me getting older, being maybe in a different state of mind mm -hmm. for the day. Do I want something saturated less? Do I want it a little more? Do I want to see the blues stand out? Is it too yellow? And I want to take that back. So I change them, and I it feels a little weird for me to do that in the the current uh, way photographs are viewed. Is it's one way? That's the way you're going to do it forever. Uh, it's more interesting to keep going, to keep changing. For me, I think that's like one of the benefits of. Um, the relationship between technology and art right now. And obviously we'll probably could, I mean, obviously there's always been different types of technology, but digital technology, um, the way that art can continue to keep evolving, like, yeah, continuously, like depending on your mood, like that's really interesting to think about, you know, you might be buying the same 
subject, like the photo of the same subject, but depending on the artist's perspective at the at that time, you're getting something completely different. Um, that's really fascinating to think about how that changed. You know, we talk about like original paintings and their worth, and they're usually worth more. But if the experience of the artist is growing and your skill set is getting better than mm -hmm. really somebody who's buying something later, even though it's completely different than the original, is maybe getting something that's quote unquote better or. What's interesting with paintings too, you go back um, just to say something that doesn't have as much to do with technology. You had like Leonardo da Vinci. They've gone through and x-rayed his paintings and you can see there's one in particular where, and I don't remember which one it is, but the model is holding, I believe, a dog. And as they x-rayed it, they realized he kept changing what animal she was holding. That's fun. So obviously he wasn't satisfied, so he was Photoshopping his paintings. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so things we think are new issues are not new issues, right? Right. <laughs> right. I really love that comparison to a score, though, and um, like the product becoming the performance because that gives you that it gives you that ownership over each individual performance because live music or live theater it's different every time. Like yeah. no matter what the script is, no matter what the score is, it's always going to be different. Even if it's the same cast or performers, the same director or conductor, multiple nights, it's going to be different every time. And this brings that into the visual arts as well, because you can, you can make those changes and you should be allowed to make those changes. You really are capturing that moment in time, even if it is the moment of somebody's perspective shifting from right. the prior version. That's really cool. And well, and I, I, I mean, you see people, people do with, with digital photography and digital art, people do a lot of weird, quirky and fun things with a, with a photograph and changing it and playing with it. And, you know, there, there are those, there's the segment of viewers there. Oh, that's, that's just, doing something dumb or like even if it's adding <laughs> like a little animated or not animated but like cartoony sun to a legitimate <laughs> photo <laughs> photograph or something like but there i mean it is it is the artist's creation that is their performance of that particular picture it, it is interesting right now there are a lot of artists who are going back to some film ideas mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's just because it's cool to be retro or maybe they want to have a little bit more of that control because back when we did film it's never the same right each print um, so I, it's kind of neat to see them going back to some of those original styles those mediums that they don't use now um modern photography is as far as digital goes it's rough as an artist people will get say for christmas they get a nice slr mm -hmm. and they go ah my camera will take great pictures now mm-hmm 
no, your camera will help you take good pictures, but you still, you still have to be the artist. You still have to have an eye for it. But because anybody now can get a camera and assume they can take great pictures, as an art form, people discount it. They don't think it's real art. It's mm. just, oh, that's cool, and then move on. So it's a little tough with, with photography these days as far as selling your photography because there is the feeling that anyone can do it. Everybody's walking around with a camera in their pocket, and they're like, oh, yeah, if I could have seen that at the same time, I could have taken it, even though there's a lot more that goes into it. Right. Yeah. yeah um, well, and the cameras in our pockets are so much better than they used to be. Like you think about the original camera phones and the mm-hmm. <laughs> tiny little grainy picture that you came up with. So going off of the thing with the cartoon sun, that is maybe a great addition to make people wonder, you know, if you can add these extra pieces to it Mm -hmm. maybe they would take it more seriously as far as art i don't know i don't know either because i still i'm fascinated by good photography because yeah and you see all the commercials for you know different different mobile phone products i won't name any brands some of them are fruits um, that, you know, try to claim that, you know, you can make the next great movie or whatever just with that technology that's in your pocket. And, yeah, you can do some really fantastic things with them, but that doesn't mean you have the right eye. That doesn't mean you're going to pick the right, you know, composition and be able to actually tune it. Like there is absolutely something about a well-done photograph that is not what we are all carrying around in our pockets. A good photographer should be able to make a good image out of whatever camera they have. A good photographer knows the limits of what their camera can do. There is a story, I don't know if it's actually true or not, but it is about this famous fashion photographer and she's going to do a shoot in New York. Big, high-profile customer. And she realized she forgot her camera, her good one, the mm-hmm. big, fancy camera that could do anything. So she ran down to her car. And she always carried this little point-and-shoot inside her glove compartment, took it out, showed the customer, look at all the cool things this camera does, even though it's tiny, right. small, So that convinced the customer that, oh, okay, even though it doesn't look like the camera I thought it was, awesome. And she took amazing photographs with it, printed in a magazine. So you can take that. You can take a point-and-shoot camera, and as long as you know the limitations of what that camera can do, if you use your eye, the artistic eye, you should be able to take a great photograph with it. There is... Now, I don't know if you can find them anymore because it was a film camera, but it was a Russian camera. And it was so cheaply made. It was all plastic. They leaked light 
everywhere. People threw them away all over the place, and artists dumpster dived for them. They would go and find these, and they knew all of them leaked light in certain places that you never knew where, and they would take images with them just for fun to see where those cameras leaked light. So they knew what they were getting into. They knew that camera, and so they took pictures based on what that camera could or I suppose couldn't actually do. Now with everybody buying cameras and your camera phone that everybody says is great, I liken it to someone buying or getting a really nice camera saying, wow, I can take professional pictures now and starting their own studio to someone handing me the most amazing tools in the world and saying, yeah, go buy, go build a house. Right. I can do some basics. You know, I can, I could probably make a shed, but really nice tools are not going to help me make a house. Right. So I would need training. I think what fascinates me, and we're sticky on the photography thing for a little bit, because I don't know, it's a good subject, and you're the first photographer I think we've had the conversation with. Yeah. Um, the one one thing that fascinates me, you talk about a photographer being able to take any tool and making a good picture out of it. I think I get fascinated by the photographers who are able to take almost any subject and make a good picture out of it. I, For a brief period, I fancied myself on as becoming a good photographer like I wanted the nice camera I wanted to work toward that I never did um just another broken dream of mine (laughs) 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 but uh, like my my father used to encourage me because I would show him pictures that I had taken and he's like I don't know how you see that but like the really good pictures like a real photographer not me like i look at those and just i could i i could stand in the location that the picture was taken and i'm not going to be able to take that same picture or the ones that are able to take even a piece of garbage like literal garbage i've seen garbage on the photos of garbage on the streets that are amazing because they are able to do that. Translate their perspective in right. a way that is something you never would have had on your own. Yeah. Well, like I said, with the guy who basically taught me a ton of what I know, his big thing was look for the light. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to see the light. So I've gone and I've been at some beautiful landscape. You can just see the vista everywhere. I picked up my camera and went, it's not there. Yeah. You know, it's just the light here and the shadow here. It's just not there. I can enjoy the vista. I can look at it and be amazed by the natural wonder, but the image isn't there. So I don't take it. Or I might take one just to be like, yeah, you never know. Maybe I got something. But no, usually you can tell whether it's there or not. Just by, and I think that's training. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that what you're explaining is really evident, especially in your photos of Carlsbad Caverns. Like, you can be there and and see 
how otherworldly it is to be in there, but it's the light is so low. It's nearly impossible to get any decent. I mean, I've taken pictures there. Obviously it was just with my phone and I would not call myself a photographer. Like it's an incredible place to be, but it just doesn't, the experience doesn't translate very well to film yet. You were able to get incredibly detailed photos of the caverns, which are just really cool. So now I do have to admit I did take quite a few pictures there. I probably took a hundred photos in that cavern. You can't take a f- tripod with you. So I had a monopod. I leaned, I basically used myself as the tripod. Mm-hmm. And I probably have four or five good pictures out of those 200. But I did try. I did keep going. But I also didn't have 5,000 pictures to look through. Yeah. Right. Um, I still looked at it like I was looking at film. I was trying to limit myself. Now, that does bring me to a little bit about how to learn photography. Anyone can really get into it and get better. You may not be perfect. You may not go into being an artist or anything like that. I got my degree in photography and some people will probably hate me for this, but <clears throat> I regret that. Um, it was a lot of money spent that I could have probably just used taking photos. If you take pictures and pictures and pictures, not like 1,000 pictures of the same flower, <clears throat> but take a lot of pictures of various things, all the time, have a camera on you all the time, which we do with you know our phones, you can get better. And maybe you find that I have an eye for this. You know, a lot of people will just be like, oh, look at this sunset picture I took. And they're very proud of it. And they show me. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be like, wow. You mean blurry moon say. photos aren't your favorite thing <laughs> no, to have right. people show you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, because I want them to take pictures. I want them to keep going. I want people to enjoy it. I want them not to sell them so I don't have as much competition. (laughs) (laughs) But really, if you want to go into photography and you want to be an artist and you want to learn how to see things, you take pictures, trial and error, but stop, think, before you take that picture, before you click that shutter, look at it. Mm-hmm. Would I print this out? Would I print this out large? And would people go, wow, that's cool. Or would they just go, well, your flower's pretty uh, colorful. It's not about the subject. It's about the artwork. And we should also know our limitations. I would make a terrible, terrible sports photographer. And I know that about myself. I know my brain doesn't think three steps ahead of what's going to happen in, say, that play. What's going to go here? I don't know. My brain doesn't work fast enough. My camera kind of does, which would be fine. And I like sports. I watch football. I couldn't 
I couldn't take those pictures. So you also have to know what you're interested in. If you're really interested in sports, you're probably not taking a whole bunch of weird close-ups of a lily. Mm-hmm. Probably. But probably. <clears throat> taking those garbage pictures. You know, but yeah, I know what I'm into. I do a lot of For lilies. I do. <laughs> I really do. I have so many lily pictures. You really do. Um, and they're all from they're all from my flower garden. Right. And actually all the lilies and roses right now in my garden are blooming and I need to get out there and take some pictures because I bought six new rose plants and they're all different colors and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> so here's Photography me taking and horticulture. Yeah. <laughs> I take these huge vistas in close-ups of flowers. But that's that goes into some of it too. In my national park pictures, I have those big vistas, the mm-hmm. wow things. But I do what's called macro photography too. That's the super, super close-up stuff. And no one looks at that because everybody's looking at the vistas. So when you're there, like I have all these of the Yellowstone hot springs the different colors are made by different microbes and all that that grow in there and you can see it when you're walking by you can see them kind of maybe some of them float a little bit some of them wave so i take really close-up pictures of those safely and from a distance oh yes trust me my wife has seen me get so mad at how people treat parks and what they're climbing on yeah, I get. Well, in the Yellowstone pools, like they'll <clears throat> eat you, like. Yeah, well, back in the day, people used to, in the 1800s, they used to take baths in them, and sometimes they would get the wrong bath and didn't turn out so hot. I've actually got a book called Death in the Yellowstone that talks all all about it. Wow. Um, didn't turn out so hot. hot. Oh, they that's were real a terrible hot. pun. They were real yeah. hot. Oh, I didn't yeah. even realize it. I, I, I realized you didn't realize it, and I had to point it out. That was, <laughs> that was my contribution. Uh, but I, I loved making close-up things of stuff you never look at. I look at your macro photography. If it I makes you feel that. any better. When <clears throat> I was in Spain a couple of years ago, half the photos I took from Spain were weird close-ups of things. <laughs> like not, not like grand, oh, look at this old building. It was like. I have one of my favorites is like legitimately this one lone rose that was like sitting up above everything else. I don't know why. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. So <laughs> well, I've, I've got some interesting ones that I really like of Canterbury cathedral in England. It was so awesome. We were staying at a hotel, 500 year old hotel that was right off of the entrance to the Canterbury grounds. And it was getting towards night. We didn't think the place would be open anymore. Uh, Let's go check. Well, the cathedral itself was closed, but the grounds were open. Nobody else was there. So we had free reign of the entire Canterbury Cathedral grounds. I got time to take all kinds of interesting pictures there. Mm. So it was a little different than what I normally take, but... 
it's really cool when you go somewhere that's normally a tourist area and there's nothing, no one. That was cool. Okay, just because you brought that up, I'm just going to ask you to talk briefly about getting to photograph Stonehenge. Oh, okay. So, Stonehenge. We've all seen wonderful images of Stonehenge. Most people can't do that because they don't let most people into the Stonehenge circle itself. Stonehenge is in the middle of a basically a prairie. 100 feet away, there's a bunch of sheep. Basically, I don't know if you'd call it a sheep ranch, but you know, there's a bunch of sheep in a pasture. And then about another five, 600 feet, whatever it is, I don't know, there's a highway. And the pathway that leads you to where you can see Stonehenge is, seems like forever away. So you're looking at it going, that's it. This is what everybody talks about. I mean, it's kind of cool and old. <laughs> but I feel like you just defined me. <laughs> you are cool. Kind of cool. Old. Yeah, you're not Mostly old. a disappointment. You're not old. <laughs> but you're not, you're not kind. You're very cool. No, no. Go, get, I'm, I'm trying. Stonehenge. So, <laughs> about six months in advance, I got it so I could get in. You could either get in, I could get a sunset or sunrise. And so I picked sunset. Be kind of cool to be able to go in. I said six months in advance, I had to know when I was going to be there. And so I got to, at sunset, go in with a few other people, uh, my wife, one of them. And I spent, I don't know, a half an hour, hour in the stones themselves, and they are massive. It is so much more impressive when you are next to one of those rocks than when you're seeing it far away. Because it's like, oh, they're big. And then you walk in and went, oh, they are big. <laughs> um, and it was sunset, so it's great time to take pictures. So I took a bunch of them. I, I have about five that I'm really proud of. None of them are awful, but I have five really good ones I like. So I put a couple of them on Instagram. And I never would have thought this, but I got a message from someone who said they were from the Stonehenge uh, group, the Heritage Society in uh, England, who pretty much covers everything that's historical there, and asked if they could use my photo for their website. My first thought was, these people are not real. So, <laughs> so I went in, I went into their Instagram page, realized, oh, this is from the society who takes care of these. Why not? So I said, sure, go ahead, use it. That'd be awesome. And they said, all right, we'll have it on the webpage next month or something like to that effect. So I was pretty excited. Went on their website thinking it's going to be in here somewhere. It was on the front page. You mm -hmm. clicked on Stonehenge, boom, it was there. 
my name was on the picture. Um, it was on for the whole season with a couple of others that it rotated through. So excited about that. But it was really, it was a really cool experience to be up there and in that area. Could we anyone think, reserve a spot like that? Or did you get to do that because you were a photographer? If you're early enough, because not everybody was a photographer there. Okay. A lot of people didn't even take pictures. Okay. They wanted to be there kind of for the experience. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, you didn't have to. Uh, but you have to know like six months ahead. You have to, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> you have to know you're going to go there. Um, um, it is interesting in Europe how what we think is old, like, oh, that was built 150 years ago right. when someone came in. And they're, well, 150 years. Boy, that's modern art, right, modern architecture. Right. So that's kind of fun. We did have, I think, a, a quick moment of that when we had the um, ensemble from uh, Finland here. We were taking them into the Carnegie Center, and we were like, oh, yeah, it's, you know. 112, 112 years, years old. 112 years old. And we're like, you know, we're showing off Carnegie Center like we always do. And they're like, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, oh, and I'm thinking yeah. about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's. That's nothing compared to the structures that I'm sure you guys have. Oh, this was just built? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like Stonehenge. You're like, wow, this is tens of thousands right. of years ago. And we still don't know exactly it, what it was for, how they built it. We have ideas. A lot of educated guesses. Yeah. But no one knows for sure. And that's part of the mystery of it that I really liked. Do you get to touch the rocks? Yes. Sort of. I'm curious about that too, but like. it's frowned upon. But yeah. everybody upon. does it. But well, I think usually historic places like that have an energy about them, mm -hmm. and you know if you get to touch the rock. Well, and sunset's such a magical time too yeah. to look at something. Well, I would, ancient Rome, like going around the ruins, like every surface that I could touch, I was touching. <laughs> like I don't know what it was like. I was just drawn to like these things have been here for. Thousands of years. What's cool about Stonehenge? How many, how many people? Have how many touched other that? people? Right. right. Yeah. And how many germs did I just pick up? <laughs> <laughs> My youngest daughter was obsessed with one time with uh, George Washington, so we went to Mount Vernon, and one of the original handrails was there, going up the stairs, mm. and she was putting her hands on it. George Washington touched this. Stonehenge is really cool. If you look at it, there are little divots in some of them, and some of them have these things sticking out like Legos. They hmm. click together like Legos. What? It's nuts. So how they got those things stuck together... That just and, made me really excited. I, know, I, know. <laughs> hey, I was just doing some Legos before I got here. <laughs> Literally. <coughs> and they came from the basically the fine art idea section. Oh yeah. So it's a, a thing with space. It starts with the fascination of space all the way up to our current knowledge of black holes. So it's pretty cool. Um, so since you've had opportunities to travel around um, with your work and then just through your life, um, can you maybe give us some of your insights about your experience? Uh, living and working as an artist in a rural community and maybe what some of the benefits and challenges of that are? Yeah, one of the interesting things is and a lot of people I know 
don't leave the state. Or if they do, they don't leave far. Minnesota, South Dakota, Montana kind of areas. I have students who have barely left Minot. Mm-hmm. So when I show them pictures from Europe, from even Tennessee or Maine, people are fascinated. They've never seen them other than, uh, say, through TV or a magazine. And while these are just photographs for the most part, it's still something you can connect to a person, me taking these. And I tell stories. So when people come up, I can tell you the story of how I took that, where I was, what I was doing. I think that's a huge advantage of being an artist and being able to sell them in person. So when we do these arts downtown and the arts in the park, uh, I do get to show my work and go, oh, let me tell you about this. Mm-hmm. I've got a bison one. So here's the story. You know, Talk about hiking, where I was, how I went through I love telling the stories of what I do. And you kind of hope maybe by telling that story, someone will hopefully buy your art and maybe they can tell the story to people who look at it in their house. Oh, here's what the artist said about there, about this picture. And so that's kind of a cool idea. I have also been branching out into... Other bits based on my photography, like I've got one that I really like doing, and I've got to get more um, of these finished, but they're really expensive to frame. I take a photograph of mine. I print it out. Then I make a watercolor print, um, semi-realistic. And then I take a third one, and I do a geometric abstract of that same one and I map them all together. So it kind of deconstructs everything. And as much as I, I don't want to say, um, people who don't appreciate art because of photography, it, it does make people think this is real art. And I hate to say that, Mm. you know, Oh, he painted it. So it's real art. But people do perceive it that way. It's a lot more expensive. So if you want to buy it, it you're ready to pay more. for that real <laughs> art. Right. Yeah. Because <clears throat> to get those matted and framed, uh, but that's a new kind of thing. I am going to, I've got two things I want to work on that are not based on nature. One is something I've been trying to get into and trying to figure out for a while. I've got epilepsy, and I wanted to do some artwork kind of based on that. They're probably going to be fairly heavily Photoshopped, but I want to do something like that. It's very personal. I want to see if I can get images that might might speak to those things. And, and maybe someone will be like, I have epilepsy. I really spoke to me. Or... I have this. Can you make a series of pictures based on that? I think that would be really interesting. The other one isn't quite so serious. I know you guys had 
Arvin Davis on here uh, a while back. Mm-hmm. So he has these things called doom bananas. Doom banana. <laughs> <laughs> and if you ever want to see some weird conversation, come downtown on Thursdays. We're usually next to each other. <laughs> and the conversations are not normal. But we've sure, been our favorite kind of conversation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But we've been talking and he said he'd really like the Doom Banana thing to just become a thing. So I was like, okay. I've got some ideas. I'm gonna use bananas and I'm expanding it, I think, to other fruits, and I'm gonna put them in weird, weird areas. I just borrowed a Barbie car and Jeep from somebody. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to have like the peel flying behind them. I want to have a, uh, take that Jeep, put it in my garden, which has rocks all over it and make it look like it's being uh, driven off road. But with the bananas, one of them spotting, one of them driving. Um, I have one trying to escape getting made into banana bread. Um, there is a funeral with applesauce and apples. Um, just weird ideas. And I want to kind of do those too. So that gets a little off of my norm, but sometimes you just kind of go weird just That's for fun. just for fun. That's super That's fun. Awesome. So I can't wait. So I, I really want to see some of those cheap ones, though. Like <laughs> not in your rocks, but I want the action like, shot of appeal, like blowing me oh yeah. in the convertible. That's fantastic. But I want to see it, like. On the street, like next to other vehicles. <laughs> I, like, I could put it next to my like, Jeep. No, it's different things. I don't know. It's a very small so Barbie Jeep, fun. but uh, yeah. maybe I could do a forest perspective next to my Jeep so it looks big. Just parked behind this plastic Barbie <laughs> Jeep. But <clears throat> so I want to venture into some other things mm-hmm. occasionally because I can't go to national parks. Every day, all day. It I'm gets sorry. expensive. <laughs> so I'm just going to do some things to play, you know, well, make it more interesting. Yeah. Um, and if anybody wants to get in this Doom Banana, you should talk to Arvin so we can see if we can get more people. I've, I've already gotten an idea. <laughs> Somebody can <laughs> cross stitch or. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But that's kind of where I'm going right now. And I want to do some more of those paintings. So, Do you have anything big or exciting coming up in the future that we can look forward to? Oh, just uh, being downtown and being in the park, doing art <laughs> for Macca, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> plug, plug, plug. <laughs> the sincerity. <laughs> sincerity there no it's really interesting um i am talking to one of my students who makes jewelry and i want to take some of my pictures and shrink them you guys remember shrinky dinks i love shrinky dinks and taking those because i've got the paper and print out some shrink them down so she could put them on like her earrings that she makes or fun uh, necklace, something like that. I thought that might be interesting. You know, get a high school kid involved, maybe some sell some of hers because young artists don't 
they don't know how to sell things. They don't know how to sell themselves. Like I asked her how much it would cost for her to just make the jewelry part. She said, well, whatever you want. I said, okay, six cents. Yeah, her friend was not. You can't just say, what do you want to charge? So I want to get her in there. I want to get all the young people into it. And I'm spreading some of myself. I'm trying to decide now, do I do things like make more, I don't want to call it kitschy, but smaller things. Do I want to make magnets? Do I want to make that kind of thing? Because you want to be able to make more money to make more art. Mm-hmm. And as an artist, you start to go, what does that sell? And does it cheapen my bigger pieces? And it's something you struggle with, you know, the whole selling out. Is that selling out? I don't know. I'll be making them myself. So I would say that's not, but it is weird to put your own work on like a magnet. But so I think these jewelry things might be really cool. So working with other artists, I mean, we should you know, find other artists that are interesting or do something that has nothing to do with what we do and work with them and get these, especially get young kids into it. You know, even if their art is awful, <laughs> they have time to work on it and right. make it not awful. Um, and we can teach them, you know, you spent a lot of time on this piece of art selling it for $10 is selling yourself short. You could probably sell this for $40, $50. What? No. Don't sell yourself short. Yeah. And I think it's really important to have that conversation um, with young artists, especially like right out the gate is giving them that foundation of, of the worth of, of their work and then carry it forward because there's so many adults who are making art and not like do not understand the value of that. And yeah. Well, that goes back to the another thing my mentor had said for pricing your work. If nobody complains, you're not selling it for enough. Hmm. If everybody complains, you're selling it for too much. If just a few people complain, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So, I give that to my students when I try to tell them how to sell. Sure. Speaking of your students, something we haven't talked about yet, um, you've been working with high school students doing theater Mm -hmm. for how long? Well, I've been directing for just a couple of years. This is my first year doing it kind of on my own. I had done assistant directing under Kevin Newharth, who just had his... Uh, name put on a the green room mm-hmm. in summer theater. Yeah. So it's awesome. Um, but yeah, that's, that's good art. And actually as far as visual arts, you teach kids how to paint, how to build things, costumes, that kind of deal. And it's fun to watch them become a character. Yeah. Does, um, the act of directing mimic like what your brain is doing when you're trying to frame up a photo. Never. No. <laughs> <laughs> you have these images in your head of what, oh, this is what it's going to look like. Then you realize we have no money and there's 
kids don't know how to paint or, or use a drill or a screwdriver. Um, and so it's never quite right. And kids will come or up with... Or how to stand. Uh, <laughs> and stand still. Stand still. Yep. I had one student who I kept having to say, stop wandering. You're wandering. You're 10 feet away from where you were supposed to be by now. Okay, mm-hmm. stop, stop, stop. Yeah. So they're new. They're young. They're fun. Can't take it too seriously. Um, so that's the theater end of mine. I started teaching English the last couple of years, but before that, I taught art. The pandemic really made it hard to teach art. Mm-hmm. I think that's sure. why I made the change. And maybe I'll go back to it. I wouldn't mind going back to it now. But having kids, the way I did anything involved having to have kids get their own paints or use their own cameras. When it came to ceramics, it was, here's your block of clay. When you've got it done, drop it off outside my room, outside, under the window. I will pick it up. I'll fire it. I'll put it back under my window. (laughs) Email me which colors you want for the glaze. I'll put that with it. Glaze it. Bring it back to me. I'll fire it. I'll grade it. And I'll give it back. (sighs) It sounds really tedious. (laughs) It was so awful. And it was so stressful. I just, I'm like, I'm going to start making art for myself for a while and just focus Mm -hmm. on that. Um, But hopefully those kids continued on. And I know a couple of kids did because I've seen at least one of them. He was here taking pictures uh, downtown during one of the events. And I did not recognize him because he had a mustache because he came up to me and hi, I'm like, um, you look kind of familiar. And then I realized shave that off and I know who you are. So it was a little, it was exciting to see him. He was really into it during high school. So it was nice to see somebody continue with that. There was another student. uh, She's still doing some. She worked up at uh, one of the pizza places. Talked to her for a while. So they're still doing art, which is nice. Where can people find you? Why not? Do you have an online presence that people can find you at? I, I have an online presence. Yes, I am a terrible at updating my stuff and terrible at answering uh, messages, but I'm trying. I'm trying to get so much better. So if anybody wants to be able to update my <laughs> Instagram page for me, I tried having my daughter do it. I said I would pay her. She did two, and then... Asked if I would pay her more, and I said, no, you haven't actually done any work. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to get to updating that. Um, That's at uh, Aaron Michaels Photography. That's my Instagram uh, handle. I generally don't do Facebook. Um, My website, I'm currently overhauling so if you go to aaronmichaelsphotography.com i've got a main page and it goes nowhere else yet um re- i'm reworking it because i had it where it was okay but i didn't like it and i'm trying to get it where i can sell prints off of it mm. things have changed back when i made websites back in the 90s where i could make them on microsoft notepad <sighs> things are not like that anymore when it was cool when you could make the color change on your text 
That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Like the, like the flying word art. Yeah. 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 Follow yeah. your, yeah. Yeah. So kids, you don't understand what it used to be <laughs> like. Yeah. I, so yes, um, I have my website back up and running hopefully soon. So that's Aaron Michaels photography.com. Years later. <laughs> yeah. But my Instagram page is, is updated more often and I'm trying to get better at checking my messages on Instagram. Um, so I'll be updating that more often. Make sure when you spell Aaron, it is two A's. A-A-R-O-N, and please don't say A-A-R-O-N, or I won't talk to you anymore. Um, Funny. <laughs> I've said it to you a bunch. You still talk to me. <laughs> oh, I say things behind your back. Oh, you I know. won't know. Um, Michaels, there is no A, so it's M-I-C-H-E-L-S. Uh, usually when I say, it's Michaels, no A, people still put the A in. There's no A. And then Photography. And then you plan on also being downtown for Thursdays downtown for some of them for throughout the summer. Hopefully most all of them. My daughter's in summer theater, so she's here practicing uh, all week throughout the summer. So we're not actually taking a summer vacation. So mm -hmm. I should be here every Thursday, generally out front of old, um, Art Main uh, with a few other odd artists who... Yeah, they're very interesting. So if you see interesting conversations and bananas, uh, you're in the right spot. Yeah. Aaron will be around, is what he's saying. Yes. He'll be around. Well, thank you, Aaron, for joining us. Sure. We, we appreciate the conversation. This has been the Minot Arts Podcast, a map to the arts in small town America with Justin. And Shandell. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our antics today and would like to hear more from us, we'd greatly appreciate you leaving a review or subscribing via whatever platform it is that you're listening to podcasts on. The Mind on Arts podcast is hosted by Justin Anderson and Shandell Latin, is presented as a program of the Minot Area Council of the Arts in Minot, North Dakota, and is produced by Brandon Tronson of More Than Music. This project is supported in part by Grant from the North Dakota Council on the Arts, which receives funding from the state legislature and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you again for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us or any of our programming, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram or online at minotarts.org. Mm -hmm.